Good morning. My name is Pastor Courtney, and I am the Family Life Pastor here. Uh, for those of you that are online, thanks for joining us today. Glad you're here. Uh, so Christmas is coming. It's like 13 days away. And the good news is Christmas is like the most calm, just easy time of year, right? Like it's just the time to like just relax, be with family, and just chill, you guys, right? That's, that's how it is. I've seen Hallmark. Uh, so what we've done is uh, we've had a couple of staff members get together, and they made this video compilation for us today to just depict this idea of Christmas and the calm that comes with it. So check out this video. Did anyone order me a plain cheese? Oh, well, yeah, we did. But if you want any, somebody's going to have to barf it all up because it's gone. What's the matter? I just talked to Blair. She called from the plane. She called from the airplane? Do you have any idea how much it costs to call from an airplane? How is she? She's fine. She misses us. Over there. I could. What? You didn't get the white chocolate. I didn't have it. What? Did you talk to Rex? Who's Rex? The butcher. As odd as it sounds, I didn't think of asking the butcher where the chocolate was. But I will. Thank you. I'll go talk to Rex right now. Maybe he'll wonder why I'm all wet. I really think you need an umbrella! No! You know why I don't want one of your stupid umbrellas? Because I got this one! I'm just... I couldn't get any flatter! Alphabetically. Art Barkian, Abacanesia who? I... HATE YOU! R&B Benson who? I hate you! Hate, 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 double hate, loathe entirely. You feeling strong, my friend? Call me Elf one more time. He's an angry elf. Look at you! I wasn't ready for that. <laughs> Call me Elf one more time. Call me Elf. You're an Elf. Oh. He, he thinks he's an Elf. Listen, Miles. Listen, Miles. He must be a South Pole Elf. So how many of you can relate to that? Just the emotions and stress levels off the chart this time of year, right? It's not all perfect and hallmarky. It is insane stress and emotion. I saw this thing on Facebook. Uh, 
It was it's by an author, but she put on here, she's talking with her seven-year-old, and she said, seven-year-old, guess what a parent's favorite holiday is? And she says, what? Seven-year-old, Christmas, because Santa takes care of everything, and you can just sit back and relax. <laughs> she said, me, it's a huge relief, yes. <laughs> we know that Christmas is actually a time of a lot of emotion because things are coming. It's 13 days away. I haven't even gotten a dent in my shopping yet. And then we think about all the times where we have to get together with our family and what that brings to the table. And a lot of times this time of year brings extra conflict. And that's what we're going to talk about today is conflict. So when we think about the holidays, we have our conflict in our own families, but then you add the extended family and more and more people to the table, and it is there. Whether we like to admit it or not, there is conflict around the table or in the room. And to some people, if we just to invite anybody in to come say, hey, come join us, they might not even pick up on what is going on with the conflict. They might not notice that there is like an empty table, like an empty spot at the table. Or they might not see that that one uncle isn't talking to the other uncle. Or they might not see that the two siblings can't actually talk to each other in much more than just the how's the weather. Because if they go any deeper, it's going to be fireworks. We all have those types of relationships, right? You just kind of feel it in your gut of, man, there's so much conflict here that we can't really engage it. And yet, we so want it so badly because we see it all around us of this idea of looking at the other family and saying, hey, wow, they have it together. Theirs is so perfect. Why can't ours be that way? Or we watch the movies and like, oh, it's so calm and so great. We want that, but then our own conflict gets in the way of it. And I think sometimes when we think about the birth of Jesus, we actually have that same misconception where we look at the nativity scene and we're like, wow, it's so perfect and so pretty and it was so good. All is calm, all is bright, and Jesus was born. And yet, when you actually dive into the birth of Jesus, Jesus was born into the midst of a lot of conflict. So we're going to take a look at that today. Normally, when we talk about the Christmas story, we dive into Luke chapter 2. That's the go-to passage of scripture uh, for the birth of Jesus. Today we're going to dive into Matthew chapter 1, though, instead. And Matthew starts off with the genealogy of Jesus. Some of you are checking out as soon as I said genealogy. You're like, oh, my word, seriously. Uh, I love history. I've told you guys this before, so I actually get pumped. I would love to just dive fully into this. I will spare you and not do that. But I am going to read to you the genealogy of Jesus. Bear with me. It's long. There's a lot. But you may notice some names in there that sound super familiar. And I would encourage you, if you have the time, to actually look into that a little more. Just Even just to Google search why Matthew even put the genealogy of Jesus in the Bible, because there's a lot there to unpack and the significance of it. But here we go. Here is Matthew chapter 1. This is how he starts off. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar, Perez the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Salmon the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose, wife had, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. 
Abijah, the father of Asa. Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, the father of Jerome. Jerome, the father of Uzziah. Uzziah, the father of Jotham. Jotham, the father of Ahaz. Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh. Whew. Manasseh, the father of Amon, Amon, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, Shealtiel, the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel, the father of Abihud, Abihud, the father of Elakim, Elakim, the father of Azor, Azor, the father of Zadok, Zadok, the father of Akim, Akim, the father of Elihud, Elihud, the father of Eleazar, Eleazar, the father of Methan, Methan, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Wow, it's a lot, right? And I said, I'm not going to unpack all of that. But there's things in there of like, there's four ladies who were mentioned in that genealogy. That was uncommon for that time. Something to look into. I'm not going to dive into all of that either. But this gives you a history of where did Jesus come from. It gives us a context to say, hey, there's a whole history here. And so I want to dive into a little bit of what the history would have looked like at the time that Jesus was born. What was the culture like? What was going on? Now, our last sermon series was all about David. And we left off with David, where he was the king of Israel. But first, I want to show you the very end of where Matthew, he goes through this whole thing, and this is what he says. Thus there were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. So David was the king of Israel. And he had built Israel up to be kind of a force, like they were a strong, united nation. And then his son Solomon took over. And Solomon also had Israel doing well. But then what happened was Solomon's sons, after Solomon died, they could not get along. And so they actually had two, two sons that fought, and to the point where they actually split the nation of Israel. So Israel, which was one whole nation here, split after Solomon. And the top northern part became known as Israel, and the southern part was Judah. So here's Israel that was doing so well under David and Solomon. All of a sudden, they had this huge conflict to the point where they actually split as a nation. And things start to unravel pretty quickly for Israel as a whole. So the northern kingdoms, they have series after series of horrible, horrible kings who just don't lead well. They do not ask God for any sort of advice or anything, and they try to do their own thing. They are shortly after being split. They end up being taken captive by the Assyrians from the north. They come in and they take over the northern kingdom. The southern kingdom, Judah, actually has better kings who sought God kind of here and there. They have a good king and a couple bad kings. Good king, couple bad kings. So they last a few hundred years longer than Israel. But eventually, Babylon comes in and takes over Judah and Israel, Assyria. So they take over Assyria and Judah. So that's where we see in the book of Daniel where they were actually in exile. And that's what Matthew was talking about, where Babylon takes the Jewish people, and they, they actually make them move out of their land entirely to the point where they no longer have an identity at all. They're not allowed to have their same names. They're not allowed to eat the foods that they say they're supposed to eat. They're not allowed to be just Jewish. Eventually, we see that 
the, another kings come along in Babylon, and they start to allow the Jewish people to kind of go back to their land. They're still not their own people, but they're at least able to go back to Jerusalem. We see that in Nehemiah and Ezra, where they're allowed to kind of get back into the land and be like, okay, we can kind of start to rebuild things, but they're still under the rule of the Babylonians. And so we see all this in, through the Bible in the Old Testament. And then we get to the book of Malachi. And so we have this whole series of prophets where God's talking to the prophets and saying, hey, go tell the people this, go tell the people that. And so there's these people who are communicating to the Jewish people and saying, hey, here's what God wants from you. And at the book of Malachi, it's the end of the Old Testament, we see there's a gap of 400 years. And we call it the 400 years of silence between Malachi and Matthew, the New Testament, the book of Matthew, which I just started reading to you. And there's 400 years of silence in that God stopped communicating to the people. God was still very much there and with them, but he no longer was using prophets and nobody was communicating to them of what was God wanting them to do because they had just so much turned from him. Now, during those 400 years, we see that Israel, the Jewish people, they are now taken captive by the Persians and the, then eventually the Greeks, Alexander the Great, if that rings a bell. So the Greeks come in and they take over all of it and the people all start speaking Greek. And then we see the Romans eventually come in and they take over the Greeks. So now the Jewish people are now under Roman law. And that brings us to the birth of Jesus. So when Jesus is born, they are very much under Roman law. And what we don't know or don't realize in that account of Matthew and even the book of Luke when we talk about the birth of Jesus is that there's insurrections happening throughout the land. The Jewish people, there's zealots that are stepping up and like, we don't want to be under uh, Roman oppression. And so they're causing fights, they're causing issues, there's Roman soldiers everywhere. There's conflict everywhere. And then we jump into where Jesus is born. So, Matthew, here we go. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. So we have Mary and Joseph, who I'm sure you guys have heard of before. And one of the things that's interesting is Joseph, we know very, very little about Joseph. I was trying to dig deep and be like, okay, what, what am I missing about Joseph? And honestly, most of the resources I looked into were like, yeah, we don't know much about the guy. But what we do know is that he was a good guy. Because what you have to understand is that in the Bible times, it says here basically that they were engaged to be married. What that meant then was that they had actually signed like papers, like legal papers. They were already committed to each other but they, weren't, they hadn't had their wedding ceremony yet. Okay, so they hadn't actually been together, but they were committed legally to one another. So Joseph finds out that Mary is pregnant. Now, put yourself in Joseph's shoes. And Mary comes along, she's like, hey, so, uh, no, we haven't been together, but I'm pregnant. Oh, and it's God's. Right? Can you imagine Joseph being like, whoa, okay. Like, yeah, sure it is. Good story. And the thing, too, at the, the Jewish law then was that Mary, being pregnant outside of marriage, 
Joseph could have easily ratted her out and she would have been put to death. That was the penalty for having a child outside of marriage. And so Joseph here, he sees this and he says that he was going to, in his mind, to divorce her quietly. So that's where we know Joseph is a, is a good guy because he easily could have just been like, yeah, no, and just done with Mary. But then Joseph ends up getting a visit from an angel. And the angel shows up and is like, hey, what Mary said is true. And Joseph's like, okay. So he ends up deciding to stay with Mary. But can you picture the conflict at this point here when he first finds out that Mary is pregnant? The conflict inside Joseph and even between them as she's telling him? That would have been so intense. And I'm sure Mary was scared to even tell Joseph knowing that he could have her killed. That would have been some intense conflict. But so Joseph decides, though, he hears from the angel, yes, this is God's child. Yes, it's going to be the Messiah. Mary's not making this up. So they decide that they, well, they don't decide, they're told, they have to go to the place called Bethlehem. Because remember, they're under Roman law, and so there was issued a census. Basically, that means they had to go to the birth of the, the, the town of their birth. They are living in Nazareth, and they have to go to Bethlehem. That's a 90-mile journey. Now remember that Mary is pregnant. We also know that Mary is nine months pregnant. And the Bible, we, hear, we often see that there's like a donkey, right? Like, oh, Mary rode the donkey, how nice. The Bible says nothing about a donkey. We kind of made that up to make it seem a little better. Now, maybe she had a donkey, I don't know. But picture this, nine-month pregnant lady, 90 miles to go to walk, or even if you're riding a donkey, not comfortable. So Mary and Joseph take off on this journey. And again, picture this. This is now my interpretation. Nine-month pregnant lady, 90 miles, walking, waddling, waddling. There's going to be conflict there, right? I don't know. No matter how great Mary is, I'm sure she is, like, belly aching, and she's like, oh, are we there yet? This is so bad. Like, get there, right? Like, this is, there's going to be conflict. And then they get to Bethlehem, and Mary's like, yeah, it's time. Like, he's coming. And Joseph is going, uh, I don't know where to stay. Where do we go? And normally, in that, those times too, you would go and you would stay with family. The fact that they have no family is of interest too. Because that makes me think that maybe there's even conflict within Joseph's own family to say, hey, no, you and your wife, like, what's going on? She was pregnant before, like, all this stuff. We don't know the whole story, but the fact that they don't even have a place to stay shows conflict as well. So they show up, and they end up in this stable, and they end up, it's like a cave attached to an inn that some guy's like, yeah, I don't have anywhere, but you can go stay with the animals. And that's where Jesus is born. It's a lot of conflict, isn't it? A lot of things. It's not this perfect, pretty picture. There's a lot behind the scenes, a lot of conflict in the context of the birth of Jesus. In his culture and his family, conflict was everywhere. Does that sound familiar to us today at all? We, had, we feel the conflict, right? Now, as uh, the teaching team and creative team were sitting down talking about this series, and we, we decided, hey, we're going to talk about conflict to kick off Christmas because we're super fun like that. Uh, and we were like, what could we do to, like, 
add some pieces to this. And the idea came up of, hey, we should talk to maybe a psychologist and just get some feedback of what does conflict look like during this time. So I sat down with somebody who attends here at Faith Church. Uh, her name's Jasmine. And I sat down with her, and we just started having a conversation. And about two minutes into this conversation, I was like, I, I even stopped her. And I was like, yeah, you need to come talk to the people. Like, if I try to tell you guys what I heard her say, I would botch it completely. So I actually have asked Jasmine to come join me and just to talk a little bit about her experience with uh, conflict in her job professionally and even some personally. So Jasmine, if you want to come on up and join me. So Can you hear me? Okay. So Jasmine is like wearing multiple hats today. She's actually one of our <laughs> elementary leaders as well, and they're doing painting downstairs, like yes. drip painting and all that. So I mean, you're not covered in paint, so not that's yet. that's good. Not right. yet. So thank you for Trying. joining that. Sorry yeah. in advance to those of you with children. <laughs> uh, it'll be great. So Jasmine, uh, tell me about yourself a little bit. How long have you attended Faith Church? About seven years. Okay. Yeah. Very cool. And what is your profession? I'm a licensed professional mental health therapist. Okay. And how long have you been doing that? About eight years. Eight years. All right. Very cool. So when we talk about conflict, do you see just as a whole in your eight years of experience, do you see that there's like a rise in conflict during this time of year, the holidays? Oh, of course. Of course. I mean, during the rest of the year, you're able to escape certain family members you don't get along with and, and whatnot. But during the holidays, there's an expectation of the Norman Rockwell and the perfect little Hamrock movie. And, and that's just not reality. I think that's why they're so popular is because everybody wants that, but nobody actually has it. And so, but people still go to the family events anyway, right? Yep. Like, because yep. there's this expectation right. to be Might want to please mom, or it might be somebody's last Christmas, they're not expected to, to be here next year, so everybody's got to put all the college try, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a lot of stress and, and angst into it. Yeah. So talk to me a little bit about the last, like, year and a half. Like, we've COVID, political tensions, just different things mm-hmm. that, like, it, it's been a lot. I mean, we could all agree on that. It's been a lot the last year and a half. How has that, just as a whole, like, take holidays in consideration or not at all, but how have you seen conflict increase in the last year and a half? I think there's been an uptick in the polarization of ideas, and everybody has kind of been given a green light, so to speak, of, I'm right, you're wrong, and if you don't agree with me, let's fight. It's just automatic, go to arms. There's been a lack of compromise and compassion amongst people to what's your perspective? I don't necessarily need to agree with you, but I can listen. That has kind of almost gone out the window um, in, a, in a large degree in, in society. And I think that's been obviously a direct relation to the uptick in violence, the uptick in riots, the uptick in, in hate and discontent and angst and tension within the world. Mm-hmm. How about uh, when we sat down and talked to, we, we talked a little bit about like how our emotions are a factor now too. Like people are acting on their emotion yes. more than anything else. Can you speak into that a little bit? Um, I think there's been kind of a green light to act on feeling versus fact. We feel a certain way about something, something so that becomes our truth. Instead of saying, yeah, I might feel a certain way, but is that really how I should behave. And so people are taking less time and less consideration of, I have a certain reaction to something, but I shouldn't necessarily act out of it. I should think about this rationally 
it's almost like the ability to rationally think and, and critically analyze has just left. And so you see a lot more of the hate and discontent, like I mentioned, a lot more of the willingness to be cutthroat about things. There's like a, almost like a bloodthirstiness, um, if that's a word, in, in general society. And, I, and I've seen it on many different levels from, from union contract negotiations to a simple family argument to a greater world political arena. It's, it's just alarming. It's yeah. frightening. Yeah. And when people get scared, they act rationally. Mm. Mm-hmm. So welcome to 2021. Yeah. Yeah. Just everywhere. So you, you touched on this a, a little bit already, that people tend to think right now we're seeing this mentality shift of, if I think it's true, then it is true. Right. And you can't change my mind. Like, it's you walk into the room, and there's already this, like, yeah. if I believe it, it's truth. Yep. Is that kind of a newish thought? I don't know if it's it's new necessarily, but certainly been um, given room to breathe, unlike ever before. I think there's in a modern society we've developed and learned supposedly um, from history and our behavior and our actions. However, the the wrongness in the world I don't think is any necessarily less or more. It's just different. So I think we've always had cultural shifts of uh, less freedom, more freedom, whatever it looks like. But over the past two years especially, specifically since the shutdown, um, I've seen just this overkill of me, me, me. Mm -hmm. And you don't matter. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, What are some steps uh, that you would maybe recommend for people that are like feeling that conflict uh, or, like, how do you deal, how do you cope with conflict? Um, I have gotten into the practice professionally and personally because I am not someone, I'm an eight, I'm a challenger. So when I come across a conflict or problem, I immediately want to tackle it. And I've learned how not to go about it in a um, fiery, we'll call it, way, and kind of learn to calm myself down and come to the table with, okay, here's the problem, let's talk about it. Um, But I I think I have had to learn to pray first. Now, that that sounds like Christianese. Sounds like a Hallmark card. Um, But our first and best weapon is prayer, bottom line. Scripture has that throughout the entire Bible. You find pray first. Um, And it's hard because we want the solution yesterday. We want to have it done and over with yesterday. We don't want to give ourselves time, anyone else time, but especially the Lord the time to do it on his terms because we know better. I have this perfect solution, God. Here's a a step, here's a list. This is what you gotta do. And instead, we need to be like, okay, what do I need to change? How should I be thinking about this? How should I be approaching it within the biblical lens instead of, I have the solution. Well, all your previous solutions didn't work. Well, that doesn't matter, because this one, this one's key, this one's gonna work. Um, So pray first, invite the Holy Spirit in Mm -hmm. to the situation and to the problem. He's always gonna have a better way than we ever will, because mm-hmm. we're human, and he's not. Yeah, good stuff. I like that. Do you have anything else that you would like to add or anything to tell us? Um, this time of year is especially difficult, so I will kind of repeat what I said previously. Do not fall into the temptation of acting out of feelings. Mm-hmm. Feelings are not fact. Mm-hmm. And when we, when we 
can take a step back and say, how am I, how am I working this problem? How am I feeling about it? We got to look for the truth versus the lie. Mm-hmm. And the enemy's always got a pretty little lie. Yeah, he sure does. Well, thank you, Jasmine. Thanks for taking a few minutes out You're of your welcome. time. It's let you fun. get back to the paint mess. I'm sure that's not there at all downstairs. <laughs> I promise your children are not covered in paint. <laughs> all right, let's give Jasmine a hand. Thank you. Let's <laughs> take it back there. Oh, oh. Hold on while I fix myself here. So, uh, I do want to say, too, uh, this is, a, as Jasmine hit on, this is a difficult time of year. And if you are feeling like, insane conflict or fear of even going to hang with family, get help. Uh, Talk to myself, talk to Jasmine, talk to somebody on staff, and we can give you some resources and help for that. That's a complete side note, but I do want to say that because this is a very difficult time of year for some people to the point where it can be very, very serious. So Jasmine wrapped that, kind of said that really nicely too, right? Like that conflict is everywhere. So that brings me to our so what. So what about all this? So what about Jesus' birth and the conflict that we have? What does that look like for us today? We know that conflict is all around us. It's in our families. It's in our workplace. It's everywhere we go, and especially now more than ever. It is everywhere. And yet, we are not alone. We've titled the series, God With Us. And this is why we called it that. If we jump ahead to Matthew a little bit more, after Joseph decides to like stay with Mary, we see this verse. It says, All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And that's actually from the prophet Isaiah, where he first had said that, that he was prophesying that Jesus is going to come, and they're going to call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. You see, Jesus was born into conflict. Like, literally, his culture was completely conflicted. He was born into that. And then Jesus, as he grew, he was completely engaged in conflict. If you read any of the Gospels, you'll see that he was in conflict after one point, after another, after another. And yet people gravitated towards him. People wanted to be around Jesus. There was something about him that people were like, I need to be by this guy. He had thousands of people following him. And so the question is, how can we be like Jesus in this? And it's not that hard because he is with us. He's actually with us. That same Jesus who was in conflict and lived conflict is with us. Now, I have to tell you guys, this week, this sermon, when I found out I was doing this whole conflict thing, they were like, hey, you get to preach on conflict. First, I was like, okay. Uh, and then as I got thinking and trying to dive into it, I was like, man, I, I don't know that I have a lot of conflict in my life. Like, maybe I shouldn't be the one to preach this. Because I, I am surrounded by it. I have people in my life that are going through marriage struggles, through uh, LGBTQ oppression, through just constant political issues, whatever it may be, but there is so all around me, and it breaks my heart of the family members who are not going to be together at Christmas because they simply cannot be in a room together, and that's devastating to me. But my own family is not that way. Like, I don't have that extreme conflict when you first look at it. 
And then I was actually talking to Kirk in between services, and he was like, yeah, you're such a seven. For those of you that know Enneagram, I am an Enneagram seven, which means I like fun and freedom and don't make me engage my emotions because that's not fun. And so as I was working through this uh, sermon, this last week has been one of the most difficult weeks of my life. I'd love to dive into the details of it, um, but it's still very uh, raw, and there's things that are still currently happening. I can't tell you guys all the details, but my conflict is very passive-aggressive. And I don't know if you guys can relate to that, where it's not so much in your face, but it's the little jabs and the little comments or just the little things of people saying stuff. And as much as I love to just, one of two things actually, I'd love to go to the people and just tell them off and just say everything that's in my head. The other part of me wants to go crawl in bed, turn on Netflix, and just zone out and ignore the world. And this has been a very emotional week for me. It's been a physically exhausting week and a spiritually exhausting week. As I've tried to, in just prepping for this and dealing with my own conflict and dealing with my own emotion. And as I've been processing through it and realizing how much conflict I actually do have in my own life, I have this voice in my head that's reminding me to keep going, keep pushing through, and love the people through it. I even got a text from one of the people that's causing some of the conflict. And at first I was like, I just want to kind of like toss my phone. Be like, yeah, no, I'm not doing that. And then God reminded me like, no, be the bigger person. And so I am very much living through this myself. And to me, it was a much more subtle way. But then I have this Holy Spirit telling me, I'm with you, you can do this. Love like Jesus. Love like Jesus. So there's this whole thing with that God is absolutely with us, and I myself am having to remind myself of this on a daily basis right now, on an hourly basis. And Jesus himself and his last words on earth before he went back to heaven, he kind of hits on this whole that he's with us thing. In Matthew 28, 18 through 20, It says, Jesus came to them, his disciples, and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very ends of the age. I am with you always. Jesus is here with us in our conflict, in the crap that's happening. Jesus is right here with us. So I want to encourage you, if you're in conflict, to take a step back and remember that Jesus is actually with you through the Holy Spirit and that he's been there. He's actually lived it. And then to look at that person, whoever it is that you've got the conflict with, and look at them how Jesus would look at them. To see the bigger picture, to look at the context of what's going on there. As I was going through doing some research on this, I came across an article about Christian conflict. And here's what the guy said. His name's David Mathis. He says, And so being saved by Jesus, we Christians, little Christs, learn increasingly to follow in his steps, empowered by his spirit to move toward conflict, 
toward need, toward pain, toward tension, looking past the imposing awkwardness and difficulty that lies before us to the promise of joy on the other side. And then he said this, for the Christian, conflict is not something to avoid or ignore. It is an opportunity for the triumph of grace. The opportunity for the triumph of grace. Now, when I say I want you to engage conflict, it's not that I'm saying, hey, go in with your opinion and your opinion and let's make fireworks, right? That's not what I'm talking about. Like, go make conflict, yeah. But don't run from it. Don't get in the way of grace. Engage it, but engage it in a way of seeing the person as a person of who Jesus would see. And love like Jesus. Show grace like Jesus would. And you can do it, even though it might seem impossible, because Jesus is with you. God is with you. He can help you through the conflict. He can help you through what's going on. So, we can show love and grace because Jesus is with us in our conflict. Let's pray. Dear God, I just thank you so much that you are with us. It sounds so simple, but when life comes and things are hard and things are difficult and the conflict is all around us, it's so easy to just get wrapped up in our own emotions and our own desires. And I just ask that you'll help each of us to just stop in those moments and to remember that you are with us, that you are right there alongside us, that you've lived it, you've been there, you know what we're going through, and that you can help us through it. I ask that you'll help us to remember to look at those around us who may just rub us the wrong way, but to remember that you made them, they are created by you, and that we need to love them and show grace to them as well. I just ask that you'll just help us to remember that you are with us in all things. In your name, amen.